Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. Thanks, Faith. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of Romans tonight. And tonight we're going to be uh, unpacking a familiar topic. And we're going to be looking at this subject of grace or reward. Grace or reward. And if you're here tonight, I want to encourage you to come back next Wednesday evening. Next Wednesday evening, all of the classes, the youth ministry, and the, uh, many of the children's classes, we are going to suspend for the month of July for the purpose of having our July Summer Bible Conference. And many of you will remember last week, what, last summer, what we did. We did it for the very first time. We have four guest speakers coming in each of the next four nights and uh, next four Wednesday nights. And every Wednesday night, you're going to be able to hear a person who's from out of state or who has a ministry outside of this place. And they're going to be speaking next Wednesday evening. Pastor Jeremy Mendoza from Betania Batista Libertad, no, Batista Iglesia, Iglesia Batista Bentania, which is, because I'm bilingual, I'll translate for you. It is, <laughs> right, Omar? Omar, don't laugh at me. You're the one who taught me Spanish. If I have bad Spanish, it's, it, it's your fault, okay? So uh, he is from the Bethany Baptist Church right down in McAllen, Texas. As far south as you can go in Texas is McAllen, Texas. On the other side of the border is Reynosa, a large city, about two, three million people. And when you see people crossing the border and you see that uh, struggle on different news things, they are right in the middle of it. They have a vibrant, growing ministry. And uh, Pastor Mendoza, he'll be a great encouragement to you. I know that you'll enjoy him. The following week, two weeks from now, we will have Pastor Raymond Wicks, and he is from the middle of Nebraska, about 10 miles south of Omaha. And Pastor Wicks is uh, the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Plattsmouth, uh, uh, Nebraska, so about 10 minutes south of Omaha. Great man of God. He pastored, uh, he's been pastoring that church for over 35 years. I know you'll enjoy him. And then three weeks from now, will be uh, Pastor Jonathan Armstrong. He's the executive pastor at Tucson Baptist Temple. And then four weeks from now, if you're going to miss a night, that's the night to miss. My brother... <laughs> it's my brother Josh. He's preaching here on that, on that Wednesday. So it's going to be a great next few weeks. I know you'll enjoy it. The teenagers will be part of it. The, uh, so we'll have a fuller auditorium, but I hope that it will be a place where you grow. One of the reasons we decided to do Bible Conference is in the middle of this time, there is so many different subjects, and it's good just to focus on the Word of God and to strengthen the doctrine, our understanding of what we believe. Not just say, well, we believe this, but take some time and focus on why we believe what we believe. That's the purpose of a Bible Conference. So we might take a topic or we might take a subject um, a specific doctrine of the Word of God and focus on that. And each of the speakers are knowledgeable. They've been studying for decades. They know the Word of God. And I know it'll be an encouragement to you. Tonight, I want to challenge you with this thought of grace versus reward or grace or reward. In our culture, it's not uncommon to see this idea of Christianity that will swing from one spectrum to the other, okay? There is the grace spectrum that will say, it doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter how you live, it doesn't, nothing matters at all, everything is by grace. And I'm so thankful for the grace of God, aren't you? But then there would be another spectrum that would swing all the way over here that says, you need to do this, you need to live this way, you need to abide this way, or else God's angry with you, God's going to beat you up, God's never going to do anything for you, and you might not even be saved if you don't have these things, and we're seeking rewards. Sometimes over here, we can get to a place of Phariseeism, where we put rules and mandates in a person's life and say, you have to abide by this structure, this opportunity, do this thing, or else you are, uh, you're not where God wants you to be. In the other place, in a place of grace, we give away any discerning factors of where we are as a Christian. So does it matter how I live as a Christian? Does it matter where I go as a Christian? What is the place of grace or reward in our life? I, um, let me see. Let me see if I could do this. I thought about it, but does anybody have a dollar bill? I need two people to give me a dollar bill in here. So anybody has a one dollar bill? Does, if you have a 20, that'd be even better. 
Uh, does anybody have a $1 bill in here? Here's a $1 bill. Just a one. Robert, see, you're a good guy. I need another person to give me a $1 bill. Okay, fantastic. What, what do you want me to do to get, to get that from you? Take it. Okay, there you go. All right, okay. Here's an illustration. Okay, I'm going to take these two $1 bills. By the way, if you have other $1 bills, just throw them in the aisle. <laughs> the, ushers, the ushers will take that. Guys, I'll give these back to you at the end. Well, we'll see how that goes. Okay? So I owe you two $1 bills. All I had was 100 in my pocket, and I didn't want to start with that. It's a, it's a, no way. No way. And I needed two different bills. So look at the Bible. Go over to Romans chapter 5 and verse 15. Romans chapter 5 and verse 15. So let's look at three things tonight. Let's look at this understanding grace. Let's look at realizing reward and then discerning discipleship tonight. Let's look at a definition of what grace is. If you have your Bibles, or you can look in your notes, they're found here. The Bible tells us this, that grace is defined in Romans chapter 5, verse 15. But not as the offense, but also is the free gift. Oh, the gift of God, salvation, is what kind of gift? It's a free gift. That's an amazing thing. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead... Much more by the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded to many. I love this verse because it defines grace. It says that grace is a gift. When you talk about the grace of God, grace is when God gives us something that we do not deserve, okay? Grace is when God gives me something that I do not deserve. I do not deserve heaven, God gives me grace. I do not deserve to have a beautiful wife. God allowed me to have a beautiful wife. God, I don't deserve to have healthy children. God's given me the grace of healthy children. I don't get the, I I don't deserve to live in a beautiful community called Liberty Baptist Church, and yet God's given me that grace. Grace is when, when God gives me something. On the other hand, you might hear the word mercy. Mercy is similar to grace, but it, it differentiates in this factor. Grace is when I am given something that I don't deserve. Mercy is when I don't get something I do deserve, okay? For instance, the other day, my wife was driving down to Southern California. The traffic was heavy, and the girls wanted to take pictures by the seven magic mountains. Do you know what those are? If you do, say yes. So all these purple, pink, girls like, hey, let's go down there. And they were taking our daughters to go work and serve the Lord in ministry at a summer camp. As she was driving down this road, the road had a 55-mile-per-hour marker, and then it went down to 45 real quick. And right where it went from 55 to 45, there was a police officer who was there in a black and white and clocked her going 72. So as she was in this, in the minivan, driving 72 miles per hour, she was very upset. The guy pulled her over and... Uh, and said, you were going 72 and a 45, you're doing this. And the lady said, would it help if uh, my husband works with the police department? He said, what's your husband's name? And she told him my name. And then he said, oh, I go to Southern Hills Baptist Church. (laughs) Okay, so guess what she did not receive that day, okay? She received grace. What was the grace? She received a warning, What did she not get? She did not get a ticket. That is mercy. So there was grace and there was mercy received. Do you see the difference between the two? When grace is given, grace is the gift of God that has been uh, just abundantly bestowed in our life. A gift is nothing you can work for. A gift is not an ability that you have attained, and so now I've gotten that. That's why salvation is by grace. If salvation was a work, if there was anything you could do to get your salvation, you would lose your salvation. If there was anything you could do to get your salvation, first of all, you wouldn't get it. And then second of all, you would lose it if you finally got there. So there's no amount of money. There's no good work. There's no act of religiosity. There's no charitable donation. There's nothing a person can do to get salvation. That's what Romans chapter 5 and verse number 17, uh, verse number 15 says. Now notice where uh, grace is demonstrated in the scripture. It's demonstrated all throughout scripture. Look in Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. 
Look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse number 1. We see that God, each time, this is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul opens up many of the books that he wrote. You can look in Romans, Philippians, Galatians, Colossians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians. They will open up with this similar phrase, Paul and Savanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here we see in the book of Genesis, we see a demonstration of grace. Here's Noah. It doesn't say that Noah was more righteous. In fact, the Bible tells us this, that the thoughts of men were only evil continually during the time of Noah's time. So Noah, for whatever reason, we don't know specifically what it was or what he didn't do, but the Bible says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Why did God choose Noah? We don't know. We can hypothesize. We can put together a number of different theories on it. But Noah, the only thing the Bible says is that Noah found what? Grace in the eyes of the Lord. So the grace of God was given to Noah for the saving of man. Number two, we see that Paul, throughout his writings in the New Testament, is describing grace given to us. You're given grace. You're given grace. Not only does Paul describe grace given to people, but notice this in 2 John chapter 3. Who's the author of 2 John? Somebody call it out. Oh, you're a smart group. John! Yeah, so John, the guy who is the closest to Jesus, whenever Jesus is uh, at the Last Supper, the person right next to him is John. He's like huddled next to him. He's close to him. The Bible says he's even leaning on him. I often wonder, was Jesus like, get off me, rash? Was he just in a place where he's, just leave me alone, you're a little clingy. But John was very close to Jesus. He was so close to Jesus that in this place of grace, he understood who Jesus was. And look what the Bible says in 2 John chapter 1 and verse number 3. Grace be with you, mercy, peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a theme. In the Old Testament, the person who found grace in the eyes of the Lord was Noah. And there's a multitude of others. I'm just using him as an example. Paul highlights grace in the New Testament. Not only does Paul highlight grace, but the apostle John highlights grace. Look over in 1 Peter chapter 1. In verse number two, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and the sprinkling of blood of Jesus Christ. Notice the next word, grace unto you and peace be, multitude, be multiplied. If you want to talk about grace, notice that the Bible is full of grace. Paul, John, Peter, their writings are loaded with grace. And it's demonstrated to people who have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ to the saints that are in Galatia, to the believers that are in Philippi, to the people that John is writing to, to the people that uh, Peter is writing to. You have the grace of God in your life, not because you've done good, not because you've attained. If you have grace, it's not because you did anything to get grace, because if you did anything to get grace, then you have uh, not gotten grace. Let me say it one more time. If you did anything to get grace, you have not received grace. Because grace is a gift. What is grace? Grace is a? Yeah, grace is a gift. So grace is a gift. Look at verse, the fourth verse we have here. Excuse me, the fifth verse, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. But growing grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be glory now and forever. Amen. God desires for us to be people who grow in that grace. Now, that's an amazing thing. The word growing grace means to understand the gift that has been given to you, to work into, to, to evaluate, to understand it better. How many of you have a cell phone? How many of you in the last six months found out your cell phone was able to do something you didn't know that it could do? Isn't that a fascinating thing? That's the idea of growing in grace here. You have this, but then you found out that you could do something on your cell phone. Like, I, I didn't show me that again. And so the 12-year-old comes over and shows you again where you messed up and how you could do it. One of the most life-changing things for me was when you can use the space bar to edit the text. Do you know about that one? Changed my life. If you don't know about it, find a younger person. They will help you with it. You can edit with this. I got an Apple computer about five years ago, and I had always been uh, whatever the other kind is up until I got this Apple computer. And... I didn't know it on the Apple computer. It had this little mouse pad on it. 
that, um, so, so when I was scrolling down a document or scrolling down a web page, I would go over to the little sidebar where the arrow goes down and I would press it like this and I would press it, press it, press it, press it, press, 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 press it. And little snotty-nosed 20-year-old walked in. It's like, what do you, why, why do you do that? I said, well, because there's no button for it to just go down. And he took his two fingers like this over my mouse pad and he went, all you do is just do this. you, you are so cool. Can I buy you a Starbucks? You know, it just, I felt, because it was something that I had, but I didn't understand all of its unique attributes. Many of us have the grace of God in our life. We've been saved, but we don't understand it. And so the word here says that we should grow in the grace that God has given us. You should learn more about the grace that God has given you. Not just be static, this is it, done, finished, I'm good. No, there's an understanding. Oh, look at this Christian life. If you talk to the most seasoned Christian in here who's been saved 20, 30, 40 years, they will tell you as they explore the word of God, God just taught me this the other day. God just showed this to me the other day. I was reading my Bible and I found this the other day. I'm growing. Why? Because when you grow in grace, it changes you. Now, do, do you get more of the grace? No, it's not like God's like, here, you get a little bit of grace. That'll get you to next Tuesday. Better come to Wednesday night service or else. No, once you have grace, you have the gift of God. But you can grow in your knowledge in the same way that many of us learn on our phones or different devices how to apply that knowledge to our life. Look at the sixth verse. How is it demonstrated? In Revelation chapter 20, verse 21, these are the very last words of the scripture. Isn't this beautiful? The very last thing that Jesus says before he takes the scripture and closes the canon of scripture. And no more revealed word of God for us, okay? No more, um, no more new word of God to be revealed for us. Look what he says. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. Isn't that a great way to end the Bible? The, the Bible ends by saying, you have grace. You've got it. You've got the grace of God. And may that gift just, may you grow in it, may you understand it, but the grace of God. Now, let's look at how grace must be defended from time to time. If you have your Bibles, go over to James chapter 2 of verse 17. But notice, uh, excuse me, go to Galatians chapter 3 verse 23. How is eternal security working into this? Grace is defended because our walk with God is based upon grace. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, to set up what's happening in the book of Galatians, pastor spoke of this a few weeks ago. In the book of Galatians, there are a whole bunch of people that came out of a very religious society. And all of these folks are coming to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I mean, there's somebody who's been divorced and remarried multiple times. There's somebody who's gone through, uh, they were going through maybe uh, human sacrifice. Perhaps they were going through some wicked type of adulterous affair. Perhaps there was even same-sex attraction going on. There would probably no doubt violence and murder and a whole bunch of different things that were happening in these heathen cultures that were being condoned. This is what society does. They were, worshiping a, they were worshiping idols. And in the worship of idols, they were condoning sexual activity outside of marriage as a way to please their pagan gods. Wicked stuff. Wicked stuff. And these people come to know Christ as their savior. And so these folks from a completely abhorrent moralistic lifestyle are put into this thing called a church with these folks who have been trying to live Exodus chapter 20 for the last uh, 1,500 years. Can you see there being conflict? Can you see that? Let's say it this way. Imagine we take 10 people out of the middle of San Francisco and put them in Stillwater, Oklahoma and say, go serve Jesus together. Do you think that there's going to be some different ideology? Do you think that their background's going to be all mixed up in this place? And so the folks who had grown up in the moralistic endeavors of Judaism were seeking to impose their, um, their Old Testament perspective of God on these New Testament Christians. 
And they were specifically talking to them about circumcision. Well, you know what? If you really want to please God, you've got to be circumcised. Now, check it out. Here's a guy from Greece, and I'm not trying to be inappropriate. You're talking to a guy from Greece who his entire life, he's always thought that whole circumcision thing was weird. You talk to this guy from Greece, you're like, well, brother, we called this men's meeting tonight. What are we doing? <laughs> I brought pork ribs. Yeah, let's put those aside. We'll have some, we'll have some hummus. Uh, tonight is the night when we've decided to circumcise all of the uh, uncircumcised believers here tonight. What? Are you crazy? What kind of cult have we gotten into? Can you imagine how that could cause discord? <laughs> the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? And so in the book of Galatians, there's this attempt to impose the moralistic views of the Old Testament onto New Testament Christians that were never supposed to live under the guise or the shackles of the law. And Galatians chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, the Bible says this, this only would I learn of you. And it's a rhetorical question. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law? Hey, Christian, did you get saved because you were doing the works of the law? Well, I feel like I was doing what God wanted me to do, and he brought me to a place of, no. Well, I feel like I finally attained. I feel like I was one of the called, and since I was one of the called, so that must put me in a place above everybody else. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Well, I, I haven't killed anybody. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't, I haven't coveted my neighbor's wife, nor his uh, goat, nor his donkey, nor his camel. I haven't I've remembered the Sabbath day and kept it holy. So that's how you got saved. Well, no, no. I'm saved because Jesus died to pay for my sins. Oh, okay. So received you the Spirit by the works of the law or by what? Hearing of faith. It's a rhetorical question. Hearing of faith. Then notice what he says at the end of the second verse. Are you so foolish? Stop it. Don't be dumb. You ever felt like saying that to someone? Don't be dumb. Are you so foolish? That's, that's a pretty mean thing to say somebody. Paul, you're not full of grace, except he's teaching them how to grow in grace. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, this is so beautiful, are you now made perfect by the deeds of the law? Are you now made excuse me are you now made perfect by the flesh? So of course not. Of course not. If you were saved because the Holy Spirit of God saved you and you put your faith in the Holy Spirit of God drawing you to him. If you were saved that way, are you now well now I know I'm a good Christian. How do I know they're a Christian? Oh because they're keeping the works of the law. They're doing all the things. And the the Galatians chapter 3 says, no, 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 stop, 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 stop. Cut it out. You didn't get saved, and, and you didn't get saved because you did something good, and you're not staying saved because you're doing something good. Well, I just don't think a Christian would, a person who's saved would do those things. Well, it's because it's habitually sinning. Let me ask you this question. Did any of you sin in the last week? If you did, just, just you're in church, just give me a mm-hmm. Whoa. Did any of you sin in the last three days? If you did, say mm-hmm. Mm. Did any of you sin today? Say mm-hmm. Mm. You know what you've got? You've got a habitual problem with sin. If you said, mm-hmm, at least four times in the last week, you have a, you've got a habitual problem with sin. Well, somebody said, mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you for your honesty. And now, now you say, well, my sin's not that sin. Oh, so there's a, there's a quantitative method to sin. There's like level seven sins and level three sins. Mm-hmm. Well, I may have gossiped, but I didn't cheat on my spouse. Oh, okay. You're right. That's one of the Christian ones. Christians are allowed to gossip, but not cheat on their spouses. If they cheat on their spouse, then they've, really, they've done a really bad sin. Do you get the, the logic there? There is no logic there. Now, does grace condone cheating on your spouse? No. Well, he robbed a bank. 
and he cheated on his taxes. Well, I mean, you know, I thought it was a natural deduction. Mm-hmm. Do you see what the grace does here? The grace says, just because you didn't do this thing or doesn't do this thing, you've not been made perfect by the works of the law. Because you and I have a habitual problem with sin. You sinned probably within the last two or three hours, or at least today, or three or four times in the last week. How dare you call yourself a Christian? Oh, because your salvation is not dependent upon you, it's dependent upon grace. It's a beautiful truth. Grace defended demonstrates that God gives me something that I don't deserve. Notice this. Grace is also defended in that it's not of works. You might know this verse. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace are ye saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. How do I get saved? By grace. God gives me salvation. For by grace are ye saved, through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Now notice the two components to salvation. God offers a salvation you receive it by faith. By the way, where's the faith come from? It comes from God. That's an amazing thing. The faith to believe on God comes from God. How's that all work? I don't understand it all. I'm just saying you have faith. You're putting your faith in something. You're either putting your faith in your good works, you're putting your faith in a tradition, or you're putting your faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And when you make that transaction with Jesus, there's a need for a Savior. There is a supply for the Savior through Jesus Christ. The transaction is made when you come to him and you say, Lord, I need your salvation. Grace is given to the person who comes to Christ, and they are not doing it of works. Notice number three, there is sin in people. Romans chapter 6 and verse number 1. This is written to Christian people learning to understand their salvation. What shall we say then, as he goes through this whole diatribe of what grace is? You're saved. You're saved forever. But God commended his love toward us. And that while we were as sinners, Christ died for us. Previous chapter. For as one by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Every person is a sinner and every person deserves to go to hell. But the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worthy lust, we should live solely righteous and godly in Christ Jesus. Awesome. So grace has appeared. But notice what the Bible says. Since I have grace, and this is the natural understanding of people. Look what he says in Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace should abound. Someone take your Bible and go over to Romans chapter 6 and verse number 2. Do you see the query that he asks? In Romans chapter 6 and verse number 2, he's saying, should we continue to sin? Should we continue to sin? So, well, God gives grace. Well, then I'm going to rob from my wife's purse. God gives grace. God gives grace. Well, I'm going to rob from my father-in-law. God gives grace. God gives grace. I'm going to rob for my neighbor. God, that was wrong for me to rob for my neighbor. I shouldn't have robbed for my neighbor. May your grace come back into me and just supply me with every need I have. Can God supply grace for somebody who robs their wife's purse? I certainly hope so. Can God supply grace for somebody who robs from their father-in-law? I don't know personally, but I would imagine yes. Can God supply grace for somebody who robs from their neighbor? Can God supply grace for somebody who robs a bank? Of course. Can God supply grace for somebody who robs American taxpayers of $50 million? (laughs) Well, 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 well. And the answer is, of course, yes. Right? Of course he can supply grace. What does God say then? Shall we continue in sin so that grace can abound? (laughs) I want you to know, I robbed a bank, but God forgave me. Bless God, brother. God forgives. Guess where you're going to be spending the next five to seven? Why? God forgives, but you're going to jail, right? So God forgives. There's a demonstration of grace. And so verse number two of 
Romans chapter 6 and verse number 1 says, shall we continue in sin so that grace can abound? Oh, look, I get more grace. I get more grace shelled on me. Look, more grace. I sin more. I sin more. I sin more. I sin more. But his grace is sufficient. Yes, his grace is sufficient. But should we continue in sin so that grace should abound? The next two words of Romans chapter 6 and verse number 2. Did anybody turn there? What did they say if you turn there? Say the two words at the count of three. One, two, three. God forbid! God forbid! Don't! Don't! Well, I just feel like, you know, I'm just doing this and God's grace will comfort me through my issues. God forbid! Stop! Want, 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 want. Is his grace sufficient? Yes, don't do it. God forbid. God forbid that we should do it. Is his grace sufficient? Yes, don't do it. Don't do it. Because there is sin in people. Now notice this, number two. As we understand grace, we begin to realize that there is reward. Look at the scriptures that talk about a reward in life by serving our Savior. Notice this. Behavior matters. What we do matters a whole lot. People can get into this false view of the sovereignty of God that says, it doesn't matter what I do. God's just going to do whatever he wants to do, and it doesn't matter what I do. Well, you don't understand scripture then. Because the Bible teaches us, oh, this grace, his grace is sufficient, but what you do matters. Notice how much it matters. Look what the Bible says in James chapter 2 and verse 17. Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee thy faith by my works. In verse 17, he says, faith without works is dead. So I can't be the witness that God wants me to be. I can't be the light or the salt that Matthew chapter 5 commands me to be. I can't have the Holy Spirit of God's power demonstrated through me if I'm doing a press conference over the last three banks that I knocked off. It's like, well, you're robbing banks for the glory of the Lord. It's all a mistake. It's a beautiful, it was a beautiful thing. Is that, is that what the Lord wants? No. Because if you're robbing banks, people are going to say, you're, you're, you're a Christian? You're a Christian? And so your faith might be a dead, it looks like a dead faith. Does that make sense? Because in James chapter 1, he's not talking to lost people. He's talking to Christians. So you, faith without your works is dead. Well, I'm a Christian. I'm just, I just love Jesus, and so I'm going to go in this way. I'm going to do every lewd, abominable decision that I possibly can, but God's grace is sufficient for me. You have lost your witness, sir, and you're not glorifying the Lord. The Bible tells us you're a new creation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, the old things are passed away, and you now have the responsibility to bear the name of Jesus Christ. You are his ambassador in verse number 20. So you are not reflecting Jesus Christ when you're robbing banks. Notice what the Bible tells us. Behavior matters in my witness. Behavior matters in my blessing. James chapter 1, verse 25. Have you ever not served the Lord because your heart was completely in it? Have you ever just served the Lord because it's the right thing to do? Now, there are times when you're serving the Lord. A couple nights ago, we were having our, um, our night of praise here. And I love the music as the team got up and they were singing so many songs. And man, I just felt like serving the Lord. I'm like, oh God, you're good. And my emotions were like, oh, that's good. I think I even got a little Pentecostal a few times. May have spoken in tongues, Portoto El Mundo. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> but in that environment, man, there was just this emotional desire that, man, I'm serving the Lord. Oh, God, such a good thing. But I got to tell you, there's times when I don't feel like serving the Lord, but you just do it because it's right to do. You've had those times, aren't you? Haven't you? Where you just do it because it's right to do. Well, my heart's not completely in it. Notice what the Bible says about doing right. In James chapter 1 and verse number 25, but whoso looketh in the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, be not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. I know this is right to do. I'm just going to be a doer of the work. Notice what the Bible says. This man shall be blessed in his right heart attitude. Is that what the scripture says? This, this man shall be blessed because his motives were good. Is that what it says? It says, no, this man shall be blessed in his deed. God blesses people when they do right. 
The whole book of Proverbs is a volume of Scripture where do this right, do this right, do this, this happens, do wrong, this happens. The wise man, the foolish man, the wise man, the foolish man, the scorner, the wicked, the man with knowledge, the man with understanding. Oh, all those things. They do these things, and here's the consequences that flow from that. Here's the evil man. They do all these things and the consequences that flow from this. There is reward for doing what is right. In verse num- uh, the third verse, we avoid chastening when we do what is right. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 7, the scripture says this, If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons, for what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? Oh, whenever I sin, God chastens me. Now let me ask you this, how does God chasten somebody? Don't answer out loud, but think to your mind, how does God chasten somebody? The word chasten means to discipline, correct, Uh, To punish would be another good synonym aligned with that. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and he scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. So how does God chasten a person? In the same way that God gives victory. What do you mean? Sometimes God uses a boat for salvation and sometimes for punishment. Salvation with Noah, punishment with Jonah. Do you see it? So we might, we, we might see somebody, and it seems like their whole world is going good. They've got money, they've got relationship, they've got popularity. And does God ever say that that is the mark of somebody who's living for him? They're wealthy. Does God say that popularity is the mark of somebody who's living for him? No, he does not say that. He does say, blessed or happy is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sitter, nor sitteth and see the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. What God promises is that you will have a happy life. You'll have a blessed life. You will look and say, even in this sickness, how do you see people with cancer and they're still happy? How do you see people in torment and they're still happy? How do you see people going through very difficult circumstances and yet the joy of the Lord is going through them because God promises when we live according to his word, he gives us the blessing of happiness. Oh, so when we look and we say, oh, they can't be saved because look, their business is prospering and God wouldn't let their business prosper if they were saved. That's, that's not a Bible answer because you don't know. Well, remember what the Bible says. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. What does the Spirit of God bring? The spring of, Spirit of God brings in those things which are in, um, unattainable through finance. He gives love, joy, peace, temperance, goodness, faith. How do I get those things? Man, I'll go to therapy and spend $125 an hour so that I can have peace, so that I can get some temperance, so I can, I'll go, I'll go and pay, last week at the summer camp I was speaking at, there was a kid who was on ADHD medicines and antidepressants at the same time. He's got this whole spectrum of up and down, and they're trying to regulate his behavior through medication, up and down. And when I heard about it, I'm like, how do you, how do you help someone in that situation? Their entire physiology is being medicated up and down, and not too up and not too down. The Bible says you can have temperance in the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, man, that's what I want. I want some temperance because temperance keeps me here instead of So whenever we look at somebody and say, they must not be a believer because this, 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 and this in their life. Now, two things. Number one, if somebody's not living like a believer, faith without works is what? You have the privilege of calling somebody's salvation out. Are you a believer? Yes. Then why are you doing this, this, or this? You have the privilege of calling somebody out because faith without works is dead. But if somebody comes to know Christ as their Savior and say, well, I just don't see the chastening hand of God in their life, and the reason you might not see the chastening hand of God in his life is because sometimes I discipline my children and I don't let the other three know about it. You ever realize that? Maybe God doesn't need to let you know about how he's disciplining his other child. Sometimes I discipline Luke and I don't get the girl's permission before I do. Right? Because it's, it's a little bit of nunya. None of your business. Notice this, that not only does reward 
when we realize reward, we've come to the understanding that we could lose opportunities. In Galatians chapter 5, but if ye led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. When I walk in the power of God and under the discipline of his word and the power of his might, I understand what? That I am not under the law. I'm being led by his spirit. But there are opportunities to get missed out if I'm living in sin. If I'm living in sin, I will miss out on opportunities. What opportunities? You don't know because you missed out on them. You ever heard somebody come to you and talk to you about your blind spots? Hey, I think this is a blind spot you have. I don't see that. Because it's a blind spot in your life. Oh, I still don't see it. Okay. Loss of opportunity comes. You, well, what did I do? When we choose to abandon the Lord, we miss out on opportunities. Notice this, that uh, reward um, is not a condition of relationship. In Titus chapter 3 and verse number 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. When I come to the understanding that that reward is not a condition of relationship. In fact, you can look at somebody who's living in a miserable existence. I have a dear friend who is close to me. About a year and a half ago, he passed away. He passed away on August 10th, the day before my birthday. And I remember just rehearsing his life and thinking about his life with his family. And just several of the things that had happened, the consequences, the the, the misery he went through in his 65 or so years on this earth. And I remember hearing that and thinking, that's a demonstration that he knew Christ as his Savior. Why? Because whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and he scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. So here's a person whose life had so much trial and angst and difficulty, it's not a demonstration that they were free as a jaybird. In fact, it's often a realization that God's chastening them the entire time. And that brings comfort to me for my friend. It's not a uh, reward is not a condition of relationship because there are things like lousy husbands, lousy children, and lousy employees. Look at Romans chapter 14, verse number one. Him that is weak in the faith, what does that say? It means there are some people that are what in the faith? Do you know that there are some Christians who are not as strong as you? You are stronger than some Christians. There are, as the Bible says, weak in the faith. What does that, can we quantify that? No, it's just weak. You are stronger than some. By the way, you are weaker than others. And so is this preacher. So the Bible tells us that there are weak people in the faith. Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 says, you've been called unto liberty, but only use not liberty as an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Oh, sometimes as a Christian, I'm like, I can do whatever I want and go to heaven. I can do whatever I want and go to heaven. I can do it. Should I continue in sin so that grace could be? No, God forbid. So he says, only use not. In this scripture, he says, don't use your liberty as an occasion to the flesh. I can sin and go to heaven. I can rob a bank and go to heaven. I can go out and um, uh, drink and run into the side of a uh, building and go to heaven. Why? Because my salvation is not dependent upon me. It's dependent upon the grace of God. So the Bible is clearly teaching us here that Christians can do bad things. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, if a person says they're a Christian and they're participating in idolatry, like they're worshiping Buddha, a Christian could be worshiping Buddha, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The Bible says if they're participating in fornication or if they're a drunkard, the Bible says don't eat with that Christian. He doesn't say don't eat with that lost person. He says don't eat with that Christian. Don't just go along and have buffalo wild wings and act like it's no big deal. It says, no, you take care of business. Your whole job is to confront them about sin so that they can be a proper representation of Jesus Christ. The point is this, that Christians can do bad things. And so from time to time, and by the way, I'm thankful that Christians can still be saved after they mess up, can't, aren't you? I'm so thankful that grace is defined. Grace can be defended. 2 Timothy chapter 2 says this, how do I become an approved workman? Well, I study to show myself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, Now ye know, uh, know ye not that they which run a race run well, but one receiveth the prize. There are some Christians who will do better Christianing than other Christians. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 9 says. There will be some Christians who are better than other Christians at being a Christian. 
Well, I want to be a better Christian. Then what's the Bible say? Study the Word of God and do what the Word of God says. And infuse the Word of God into your life so you're a better Christian. Well, aren't we all saved? Yes. Well, I want to be more of a son. How do you become more of a son? But you can be a better son. It, there, I, have, I have three daughters. They are as much daughter as they are daughter. Okay? But there are times when one's been a better daughter than the other, and the other's been a better daughter than the other. Why? Because they made cookies. In Matthew chapter 19, the Bible says, And everyone hath forsaken houses and sisters and lands shall receive an hundredfold. The point is this. Grace, reward is not a condition of grace. Grace is a free gift. If you're with me, say yes. Now, notice discerning disciples. What do discerning disciples do? Discerning disciples recognize this, that there are certain things that I might be uncomfortable with that are not a sin. When you read 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4, the Bible says, As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifices to idols. Whoa, 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 whoa! Here's some food that was offered to an idol, and that person is eating the food that's offered to idols. They must be sinning. The Bible says there's no such thing as an idol. There's no false gods. There's only one God. There's only one God. So who cares if they put the baked potato in front of somebody? Eat the baked potato. Who cares if they're eating the carrots? Who cares is, is essentially, but then he says this, don't do it if it's going to offend your brother. Isn't that interesting? If I know that it would offend Ken to do something, it's wrong for me to do something that I would know offends Ken. Okay, for instance, I believe that every person who is part of this great country should stand whenever the national anthem is played. Ooh, is it a sin if somebody doesn't? Now, if somebody wants to respect us as Americans, people who have fought, bled, died for that beautiful flag, that's my patriotism being displayed there, okay? So, uh, love America. But if somebody, wants, if somebody wants to demonstrate that they care about my feelings when my national anthem is played, they'll stand and show respect. Why? Because... They care about me. Is it a sin to sit during the national anthem? No. Is it a sin to not salute whenever the flag goes by? No. Every Canadian doesn't do that. Well, that's wrong. No, they're Canadian. And that's okay, right? But it would be disrespectful if I don't want to offend my brother. Well, I could say, what? it's just a flag. It's just a... It's just a it's just a flag. What does it matter? Oh, but if you care about me, you're not going to disrespect something that's very dear to me. In the case of eating meat, some people are like, oh, no, dude, no meat for me. Why not? It offends me. Okay, you do you. And I'll not eat meat while I'm around you. Why? Because I care about you. Isn't that beautiful? There are certain things that some Christians do, and they're not upholding the same standards or belief systems or values that I have, but it's not a sin. Um, grace versus reward. Um, there is a place then for Christians to restrain their liberty. Brethren, you've been called unto liberty, only use not your liberty as an occasion of the flesh, but by love serve one another. What is the ultimate purpose of a Christian's life? The Bible says, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do what? All to the glory of God. So valued scriptures. The Bible says this, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. What's that mean? What that means is that when I value the Scripture, I start to ingest the obedience of God into my life. What do I do? So I realize I have a mandate not to explore my privilege to kneel during a flag or to eat pork or to not wear my shoes in somebody's house. That's not what life is about. Life is about heaven and hell. And telling as many people as we can that someday they will stand before a holy God and give an account for their sins, and heaven and hell weigh in the balance. How do we bring them to a place of knowing Jesus? We show them that the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. How did that grace get shown? 
For the Bible tells us this, for as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men, so that all have sinned. God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When I come to the understanding that the ultimate purpose in life is not whether I can wear sandals or whether I can wear, uh, wear this thing or listen to this music or eat this thing or behave in this faction, when I start to restrain my liberty, I put myself in a place where I understand my ultimate purpose. And remember, there's two great laws that God gives us. There's two great laws. This whole book comes down to two things. The two laws are this. Two commandments I give unto you. What's the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. What's the second commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. Then Jesus said, let me replace that second one. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as what? I have loved you. So two great commandments. You love Jesus, and number two, you love others. What is grace? What is grace? Remind me of your name again. Mike. There's a buck, all right? You get a buck, all right? Uh, Kenny, would you stand and tell me your name for a dollar? Yeah, good job. He got it right. Give him a round of applause, all right? Okay, what's the difference between Kenny and Mike? What's the difference between Kenny and Mike? Mike got grace. Mike didn't have to do anything to get it. He just got grace. Isn't that awesome? What did Kenny have to do? Stand and say his name. He got a reward. And what's even more beautiful about it, it's somebody else's dollar. (laughs) Thank you, Lord, for the privilege tonight of being able to study your word and understand grace and understand reward. May we live in light of the grace that you have blessed us with, and may we seek your reward May we honestly desire to obey you and honor you and live in light of the grace that you've given us so that we can share it with others. You know we need you, and without you, everything is futile. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bless this time and this study. And as we enter into Bible conference season on Wednesday night, may these next four weeks just encourage us as we hear your men of God share with us timeless truths from your word. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.